the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This is a different perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here's the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall, and for no reason whatsoever, I've decided this is the beginning of season four of A Different Perspective, and I will number it sequentially from that point. Uh, before I get to uh, William Puckett, who is my guest today, I had a couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh, first of all, I reactivated the um, blog called The Science Fiction Site, putting up some new material. Though, For those of you interested in science fiction, you might want to take a look at it. You can find it at The Science Fiction Site all one word, all lowercase, dot blogspot.com. And because people have asked me repeatedly about my Vietnam experiences, and there's a reissuing of a number of books that I wrote with Bob Cornett back in the 1980s called Vietnam Ground, the Vietnam Ground Zero series, um, I put up a blog cleverly called, the, called Vietnam Ground Zero by Eric Helm. It can be found at www. VietnamGroundZero.blogspot.com, VietnamGroundZero, all one word, all lowercase. It is my recollections of my uh, year in Vietnam. You can read about that there. In fact, just today I put one up about Bobby the Weather Girl. And those of you who are in Vietnam in 67, 68, 69 know about Bobby the Weather Girl. I think it's something that's kind of interesting. I'm going to uh, be speaking here momentarily with William Puckett, who was employed as a meteorologist with the National Weather Service for three years and the Environmental Protection Agency for 27 years. He is retired from government service in 2007. He is a professional member of the American Meteorological Society. Puckett has worked as a consultant for the UFO Hunter series on the History Channel and has appeared in two UFO Hunters episodes. He has appeared on an episode on the Science Channel's Close Encounter series. He is also a research associate with NARCAP, the National Reporting Center for Anomalous Phenomenon. He is credited with meteorological and radar analysis for the November 7, 2006 UFO incident at O'Hare in Chicago. Puckett was formerly the state director for the MUFON UFO Network in Montana, he is a certified field investigator from MUFON and has written several technical articles for the MUFON Journal. He has been a guest on many talk shows, radio programs, and interviewed for some TV programs. Puckett continues his work as an independent investigator and presents the results of his studies on his websites, UFOs Northwest and UFO Sightings Montana, which is uh, www.ufosightingsmontana.com. Uh, UFO Sightings Montana, all one word, all lowercase, and www.ufosnw.com, uh, which is, I think, his main website. William Puckett, welcome to A Different Perspective. Uh, good to talk to you, Kevin. Uh, having a nice windy day here in Helena, so I hope we can keep the power on, but uh, uh, everything's going great, and I'm looking forward to discussing the UFO enigma with you. I uh, collected a lot of reports in the past few years and have some pretty compelling uh, reports to talk about. Well, I will say here at my house, I will never be without power for more than 10 seconds. I have <laughs> a, I, I installed a standby generator after we lost power for eight days. So well, you're lucky. I had one when I was on the West coast in ocean shores, Washington, but I've got solar panels on my house, but they, they, sh they turn them off when, uh, the grid goes down, so I can't I can't use them. So I'm still on the grid. 
<laughs> well, I looked I looked into solar panels, but the company here that installed them said they had no battery backup. So you you they worked when the sun was out, but it would not carry you through the night. So I said, I need something that uh, does better than that. So I have a standby generator, which uh, doesn't get us into UFOs. Um, your uh, website at UFO SNW, you collect UFO sightings on that uh, on that website. Is that correct? That's correct. You know, I, I get reports from all over the world. I also have another blog called reportaufosighting.com, which is strictly just to catch UFO reports. also want to add that my site is mobile-friendly, all my blogs. The uh, fonts and everything are reformatted, so people can text me their reports. There are a lot of way, different ways they can get reports to me. But, um, yeah, I'm, I... Uh, most of my reports uh, come from the United States, but I get some pretty good reports overseas too, particularly England. Uh, one gentleman over there, I will mention his name, he's not anonymous, John Mooner, seemingly takes a lot of good photos of UFOs, and some are quite compelling. So, But I find somebody takes a lot of photos of UFOs uh, probably are faking them. I mean, what are the odds you're going to be have an opportunity to see UFOs on multiple occasions? I, most people never see them at all. Well, you got a good point there. With John, I I don't think he's faking them. Uh, you know, I can't prove that he's not. Uh, I, I know that my methodology of photo analysis is I look at the metadata trail of the photo, and I can tell generally if they've if they've doctored it with photoshop or microsoft uh, photo editor etc of course a good hoaxer can cover their tracks but i don't think he's hoaxing them uh a lot of people do i, I agree when they see him on repeated locations he's one of the few people that i i do believe that is seeing real ufos but uh, because i've had other reports from the same area where he gets reports i think it's a hot spot well, I, know, to... I know Betty Hill uh, had many, many UFO sightings and took pictures of UFOs. And I think she was seeing a lot of mundane objects that uh, she couldn't readily identify and just assume they were UFOs. And uh, having not seen his photographs, I don't know how detailed they are, if they're streaks of light, points of light, blobs of light. I don't know what they look like. But I'm just uh, very, very suspicious of somebody would take, be taking multiple photographs of UFOs. Well, yeah, I, I'm more skeptical in that regard, too. I don't post all his reports, and some of his reports I've debunked as being contrails and birds and insects, etc. Uh, I, I do think, seemingly, some people seem to have a, a, a psychic ability to track these things, but that's anecdotal. I can't prove that. You know, I've just... People that I've talked to seemingly have had paranormal, more paranormal experiences, sometimes seem to catch these. But yes, I, I, I'm more skeptical, uh, also skeptical when people see things on repeated nights, you can almost bet that they're celestial phenomena. Generally, what I do is I put reports out there on my site. I, I give my speculative analysis and let the readers decide for themselves uh, what they are. I, I present the evidence. I do some investigation, you know, like I said, uh, meta trail analysis with photos. I am one of the few UFO investigators that does aviation radar analysis. I'm working on a couple cases right now. And, you know, I do get videos and once in a while trace cases, which I'll send in and get analyzed. So, you know, I scrutinize the things as best I can. And also, I might add, I don't know whether you're aware of it. It's called the MADAR network, Multiple Anomalous Data Automated Recording. It's a little device about the size of a package of cigarettes. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but I used to. And it detects magnetic anomalies. And you have to have a pretty strong magnetic field to trigger it. And we got different thresholds set. So we are looking we, uh, at, at electromagnetic anomalies in relation to UFOs, and that device will pick it up. Uh, well, since you, brought, since you brought up the magnetic anomalies, and this is an area that I'm quite interested in, especially after the Leveland sightings in 1957, 
Uh, are we getting, and, and for those that don't know, the Leveland sightings were um, the object seen close to the cars. It stalled the engine, dimmed the headlights, filled the radios with static, and uh, over a period of a couple of hours in the Leveland area, with witnesses at uh, multiple locations uh, reporting it to the sheriff and the sheriff himself becoming involved. Uh, the question, though, is I've noticed there's... Um, a reduction in the number of sightings like that, the electromagnetic sightings. Do you get many electromagnetic sightings in this day? Well, I'm looking at my page right now under electrical interference. And, you know, I have had in 2020, um, looking right here, uh, quite a few reports. Um, uh, one uh, particular report I just mentioned, Green Bay, Wisconsin, November 29th, 2020, and a uh, triangular red, red, green, white object causes streetlight outages, and witness state's family was driving in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I saw a flat triangular object that had red, white, and green layers, had a strange silhouette. No individual lights were noted on the triangle. Object was coming down, then Harvard moved to the left. The object appeared to be tumbling over. Object was seen near railroad tracks. When the object went by streetlights, they went out. And it was close to Lambeau Field in Green Bay, if you're a football fan. So, and, and I just got that report, uh, you know, that was late November 2020. So, yes, I am still getting reports. I don't get as many of them. Um, one thing I, I want to mention to you, Kevin, is one good one that I had. And you mentioned Roswell. Well, this was in the area of Vaughn, New Mexico, a truck driver, a data sighting June 23, 2009, 1.30 a.m. Mountain Daylight Time. Uh, and the witness had been, was driving, he had a load of uh, cars that he picked up in Denver at a used car uh, auction, uh, a, a car rental agency. And he pulled off the road trying to remember the name of the road he was on here and he was on the way to El Paso Texas from uh, Denver and he was starting to unload his cars as he went south and he he pulled off the road and immediately he felt kind of like his hair was standing on edge it was a very clear night and he looks up and he sees this huge triangular object with multiple lights all of a sudden his truck shuts down and his flashlight wouldn't work, and everything just went dead. And he panicked, and suddenly this object hovered right over the top of him, reversed direction, went back to the south, and then he he, he had unloaded a car, because that's what he did in emergencies, and he couldn't start the car. So he immediately, when the, when the object retreated, his truck started, a flashlight worked, he got out of there, and here's the interesting part. He gets to El Paso the next morning, and he looks, and all his uh, clocks are 13 minutes slow. It shut down the clocks. It could have been a time dilation. Yet, his wind-up clock and his sleeper was right on. That's how he knew that they all lost 13 minutes. And he... He lived in California, Long Beach, and he got back to Long Beach, and his nephew was a, a police officer, and he told his nephew, and he called me. And I actually have the interview on my site, if you can listen to the interview with the gentleman. And so that's one of the best uh, electromagnetic reports I've ever had. Well, let and, me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, he's probably on Highway 54, if he was in Vaughn, and he was heading toward El Paso. That would be my guess. Right. Uh, yes, the, you're, you're right, Kevin. Highway 54 between Vaughn and Alamogordo. That's where he was. And uh, I've been to Vaughn many, many times on my way from Albuquerque to Roswell, so I'm familiar with Vaughn. Me too. Uh, the other thing is, oh, I've, I'll ask my other question when we get back. I, I've noticed that <laughs> I, I'm getting close to the commercial break here. I've got to take a uh, take a quick break before the music plays for me. Uh, you're listening to a different perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. We'll be right back, so please stick around. Mm -hmm. 
Puckett. We are engaged in social distancing for those of you who care about such things. Uh, he being apparently in Montana and me being nowhere near Montana. We were talking about electromagnetic effects in UFOs. And before I took the break, which sneaked up on me for some reason, uh, I was going to ask a question. And, and uh, you mentioned the the truck stalled and he couldn't get the car started that he'd taken off the truck and that sort of thing. When the UFO left and everything came back, did he have to start the truck or did it start spontaneously? That's a good question. I believe, let me check that for sure so I don't give you any false information here. Let's what, see. I was thinking, what I noticed is, and I, I was going through Mark Rodiker's massive thing on UFO uh, electrical interference with, with vehicles, vehicle interference. And, and the rumor had been, and the conduct committee used it to discredit these things, saying that there was no way they could understand physically that if you stalled a car engine with an electromagnetic field, once you remove that field, that the car would start spontaneously. And I began to look at all the reports, and a lot of them said, didn't say the car started spontaneously, that the car could be started, the car was started, or something like that. And I interpret that to mean that the driver took some action, although in, in Level Land there was one guy who said, no, it started spontaneously. The others did not. And so that was a question I began asking everybody is, did it start spontaneously or did you have to take some action? I believe he had to start the truck. The cue for him was the flashlight came back on. And that's when he, and the, as the object retreated, and that's and not the same. That's not the same as a car starting spontaneously when the no, no, it's not. Field and, and we interrupted the electrical field in some fashion. But when light comes back on, that's not the same as starting the car. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, the uh, 13 minutes. Was he aware of the sighting lasting that long? Are we suggesting some kind of missing time here, or is it just that sighting lasted that long? He was unclear about that. He. Uh, you know, it, I think my understanding is that he thought time had gone by pretty fast and he didn't know about the time loss until he looked at the clock when he got to El Paso. But he he'd been he got out of his truck cab and he tried to start a car that he'd taken off the, uh, the trailer. Yes, he did. So he was taking some actions and doing some things. So 13 minutes really isn't that long considering him. No doing other things to suggest my understanding is that he did not uh you know that 13 minutes was reasonable and you know i i he he didn't indicate to me that he felt like he had a time loss or time distortion that was my understanding okay okay uh that's a fascinating sighting and fits right in with a lot of the work where the ufo has interacted with the environment uh, unfortunately, unless there are some kind of measurements made, and there are, I think, discussions of magnetic mapping of the vehicles and that sort of thing that might give you a, uh, um, an indication of whether a, a very strong magnetic field had been, or they had, the, the vehicles have been exposed to a, a strong magnetic field. But very few people are set up to do that. I know the Condon Committee rejected uh, going to level land and that sort of thing because they couldn't find the cars and they couldn't do the proper measurements. They just kind of ignored the whole electromagnetic effect thing, which is kind of surprising. Uh, but that was just that was the uh, guy going to El Paso. And you mentioned a family in um, Wisconsin that had some kind of electromagnetic. Uh, it was the street lights that went out. Yeah, they, they saw this triangular object uh, moving right along the railroad tracks. Uh, they were driving, and as it passed a streetlight, the streetlight would go out. And it was just blink, 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 and then they'd come back on. And now maybe uh, another possibility with that is that the object might have been bright and the lights could have been photosensitive, but, you know, I don't know that. You know, it could have been electromagnetic. It could have been photo photo cells in the streetlights, depending on the type of streetlights they were. But the car the car exhibited no uh, electromagnetic effect. No, no, not not. There was no mention. No. I, I'd like to revisit one thing about cars and trucks and electromagnetic interference. Keep in mind that diesels pre-ignite. There's no spark. So an elect electrical ignition system, you know. Uh, the presumption is that it's affecting 
electromagnetic anomalies are affecting the electrical system. Diesels pre-ignite. They, they don't use spark plugs. So that's a, that's a distinction. So I just wanted to mention that. And, and also, too, you talk about leveling, and I, that was, I can remember that case in November 1957. It was in the national news. It spooked everybody out. And I, at the 50th anniversary of that, I did a bunch of analysis. I got a bunch of magazines and everything from the Roswell Museum. I found just numerous locations, Oklahoma, Texas Panhandle, and New Mexico, military civilian witnesses all had their cars turn off. And the military's explanation, Project Blue Book, says it's ball lightning. Ball lightning in the 30s with fog? I mean, I'm a professional meteorologist. That's the most crazy explanation. They could have come up with a better crazy explanation than that. I mean, that's just laughable. It's ludicrous. Well, I was going to revisit one point you made about the uh, object being so bright it turned off the photoelectric cells. And uh, I'd done an investigation in Utah where we had an electromagnetic effects like that. And uh, the explanation was a bolide, a bright, which you know is, of course, a bright meteor, um, right. setting up the photoelectric cells of the streetlights. And that's why the streetlights went out. But one of the police officers I talked to said, well, yeah, that's strange because I looked up into the doctor's office that was right near where I was. And the lights went out there, too. And they weren't on a photoelectric cell. And that was why I asked if the car had been affected. So I think your explanation that the brightness of the object probably was the res the problem there as opposed to an electromagnetic field. And, right. Uh, We've talked on this program about level and many, many times. <laughs> I'm not sure if the witnesses are interested in hearing another another uh, story of, of either Roswell or Leveland, but both cases are very important. The Leveland case, I think, is much more um, uh, diverse than uh, people understand. And, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was there was one case where there were two two cars. Uh, to close together and one had a diesel engine and the one with uh with the regular gasoline engine failed and the diesel engine did not when the well, that makes UFO, sense ufo approached so it, it suggests again uh what you were saying um but do you you, you don't get many of these cases anymore uh, uh electromagnetic cases no i'm looking at my site uh you know i got let's see one two three four five six seven there's about, in the past two years, uh, about a dozen cases. And they may not be current cases, but I mean, some of them are older cases. But, you know, I, I do get them. I, I you know, uh, I've had uh, another uh, power outages, massive power outages, also uh, around UFO activity. And, and you know, sometimes you got to be careful with that, too, because... You can have meteorological, I mean, like I'm just talking to you today, I mean, we got this horrific windstorm. I measured wind gusts. I have a professional weather station, 55 miles an hour today. And so you got to be careful with that too. But I, I have had, yeah, a good uh, 15 cases in the past two years, electromagnetic interference. And some of them older ones. Uh, well, let, let, me, let me go into this one here. Um, a remote part of Ohio, December 2nd, 1974, 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. A woman and her brother were driving across Ohio right after Thanksgiving Day weekend, 1974, traveling Pennsylvania to California. She was 20 and her brother was 18. They were in a remote area on a two-lane highway about 20 minutes from the nearest town. The car, radio lights started intermittently going out. Then after a few minutes, the car radio and lights died. It was about 3 a.m. The woman and her brother were alarmed and decided to get some sleep and planned to seek help the next morning. About 30 minutes later, they saw a red flash like a meteor and went straight across a field. Then the car, lights, and radio came on. They drove away. Her car never did this before or after the incident. And she said she kept herself to this to herself for years. Her brother called when the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out and advised her to go see it, she did so, and that was the sighting was almost exactly like the car scenes in the movie, which, of course, Steven, Bil Steven Spielberg based out on, you know, on 
UFO sighting reports. So, you know, that's another example. And, you know, I, I, I just got that report. I posted that report in May of 2019, but it's, you know, a report, to, you know, over uh, Well, we have um, seen a lot of these things, electromagnetic uh, reports, kind of spike in certain times. The um, Leveland case, as, as you mentioned, was a time where there were a lot of these kind of electromagnetic cases reported, and then it drops off, and we've seen another spike uh, uh, later on of the cases, but it's not something that goes on for quite a long time. So I wondered um, if we're talking about craft that uh, operate on a different level than some of the other craft that uh, are reported, that uh, the electromagnetic effects are only reported with certain kinds of craft or certain certain uh, sightings. And that's always concerned me about uh, some of these reports. And, and we kind of look at all of the UFO phenomenon that way, that we get um, kind of a spike in reports of a certain kind. And I'm thinking of the um, occupant sightings that sometimes are revealed. We have reports from the, the 1973, for example, when there were lots and lots of the um, uh, occupant reports in uh, all over the United States, for example, or 1954 in France, quite a few occupant reports. So we've had some trouble that way. Um, and I was going to ask you about occupant reports uh, as we kind of wind down the um, electromagnetic cases. You, know, you get a lot of, of the um, occupant reports now in today's environment. Yes, that's correct, Kevin. Uh, one that I specifically like to mention, I've put a lot of time in this, is a case in Las Vegas, Nevada. Of all days, November 22nd, uh, 2020, and a gentleman, it was about a little before 7 o'clock in the morning, and he, uh, he was looking out his south window, and he saw a bright green light, and he, he was closing the blinds because his daughter was sleeping on the couch. So he, took, he went out, took his camera, and this bright green object uh, starts moving towards him. And it took him about four minutes to walk to a parking lot. He snapped several photos, and he snapped most of the photos in a two-minute period and shows this real bright object. And then this robotic-type entity, somewhat transparent, steps out right in front of him out of the object, about 150. He fit, estimated about 140 feet from him. Let me, interrupt you. Let me interrupt you there because I'm going to have to take a break. Don't want to do it, but we'll come back to a guy seeing an occupant in Las Vegas uh, not that long ago. I wanted to mention that there are other fine programs about the paranormal on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at xzbn.net. Uh, take a look at the listings at the X-Zone website, and I'm sure you're going to find something that will spark your interest. And I also wanted to thank those who have purchased the best of Project Blue Book. It's been up and down on the Amazon bestseller list. So if you enjoyed it, please rate it and write a review because that, that does help uh, spread the word. And also take a look at Encounter in the Desert, which deals with the Lonnie Zamora sightings. And be sure to take a look at Roswell in the 21st Century, which I think is more of a cold case review of, of that uh, series of sightings. And for fun... Take a look at www.vietnamgroundzero.blogspot.com because I think that'll give you an idea of what some of my background is uh, working with the military. We'll be talking with William Puckett more about UFOs and occupants and uh, his website, which is uh, www.ufosnw.com. We will be back right after this, so please stick around.
I am here with William Puckett. We are back, obviously. We're talking about UFOs. We're going to talk about an occupant sighting from Las Vegas, Nevada, which uh, I think will be interesting uh, when we get to it. Um, in upcoming weeks, I just wanted to mention quickly, in upcoming weeks, I think we're going to have some fascinating guests on here. Next week, I hope to have a guy on who's actually been to Oak Island a number of times working with Luganus Brothers to get us an update on what they're finding there or not finding. And uh, following that, the astronomer, uh, Avi Loeb, who is a Harvard astronomer, has uh, said he's going to come on the program to talk about this alien artifact that passed through the solar system a couple of years ago and his theory that it was an artificial artifact as opposed to some kind of uh, natural object that had passed through the solar system. We'll, get, we'll bring him up and uh, talk to him about that and his experiences with uh, the scientific community with his oddball idea and uh, his feelings on UFOs. Anyhow, when we went away, I was talking to uh, William about, or he was talking to me, about a sighting in Las Vegas where there was a green light. Uh, he had made a number of photographs of it, and uh, take it away. Well, the gentleman snapped 15 photographs, and the debunkers are saying that these are lens flares. Well, a couple of them were, but he saw this object. It was so bright that he had to shield his eyes from it. And it moved closer and closer to him. It's moving towards the north. He lives in North Las Vegas. And then after a couple of minutes, this being, robotic being with appendages that didn't seem to be connected, was hovering right in front of him. And he was mesmerized for four or five minutes. And he got photos of the being and only, only one of them he has showed. The best ones aren't on there yet. The, the photo that I got doesn't look real compelling, but he said the being was transparent and, you know, it was like it was, you know, distorting the, the area around him. So I wouldn't expect a photo to, to look like a, a normal being, but he is quite willing to take a lie detector test. I mean, the guy... The guy is reliable, uh, and I, I don't have any reason to question him. And I have, in addition to, to looking at the photos, I do have good radar data from McCarran Airport in Las Vegas and Nellis Air Force Base, and I'm starting to look at the radar data. I don't know whether it's going to show the object or not. I'm still looking at it. But the but the object, when you, if you go to my site and just go to my home page www.ufosnw.com and scroll down you'll find the report on the home page the object looks you know it looks like it's changing shape it's it's not uniform and normally with lens flares particularly with cell phones you will get a green dot but this isn't a uniform green dot it's different and the debunkers are saying it's lens flare and my criticism of people that analyze photos is that they don't listen to what the witness says. The witness saw the object. If somebody takes a photo and then finds something after the fact, you can question it. That is not the case with this report. Well, and he I'll, I'll interject. let me interject here, the, the thinking of it being a lens flare. I can understand people being fooled by lens flares, and there's been any number of UFO photographs that have been published saying, here's a UFO and it is a lens flare. And you know it's a lens flare by the way it looks. But I can't imagine anybody taking 15 pictures of an open area where there's nothing to see and getting a lens flare in it um, that would fool you. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I can understand somebody taking a photograph and finding the lens flare after they took the photograph, but I don't know how anybody would take a photograph of a lens flare, if you know what I mean. You're not out there seeing the lens flare and photographing it. That's exactly my thinking. And also, I might mention, I did look at the meta-analysis of the photos and he did not tamper with him. And and this witness doesn't have the know-how. I mean, he had trouble getting the photos to me. I mean, you know, a lot of well-organized uh, hoaxer, you know, generally going to have some analytical skills and to cover his tracks. But uh, I, I have two interviews with a witness on my site. The first one is the best when he actually taped the call with him when he called, reported the UFO to me. And he's he's really excited about what, about what he saw. And another thing, well, the debunkers are saying, why didn't anybody else see it? This is seven o'clock in the morning, six fifty in the morning, in Las Vegas, Nevada, on a Sunday morning. 
not many people are up in Sun City, you know, the ones that are, are pretty hungover probably. So, now granted, he did take the photos towards the sun. The sun was coming up. There was a cloud deck at 14,000 feet, uh, kind of off the horizon. And, but I have every reason to believe that this is a genuine UFO. And, you know, I, I just, the debunkers are always going to, you're never going to convince some of these people. Well, I mean, you, you can, uh, you live in Montana, and uh, this is Las Vegas, so I imagine you have not met the man in person? No. I would go down there and look at the site, but I'm, I'm 73 years old, and, you know, I've been sheltering in place almost a year, and, you know, I'm, I expect to get my COVID shots. You know, maybe I'll make, make a visit uh, later on in the year, but I'm not going to go anywhere until I'm, I'm vaccinated, until he is, too, because you can still transmit the disease. Now, granted, he has, he has pitched this case to a lot of other UFO investigators, uh, National UFO Reporting Center, and also MUFON, and MUFON had a field investigator, and he was going to go out and investigate, but he got COVID, and some for some reason or not, MUFON lost interest in it. I did talk to MUFON headquarters about it. They called me. And I gave him my perspective that I do think the guy's telling the truth. I have no reason to doubt his story. Everything he has told me, I've verified his cell phone, some cell phones with GPS. The, the location, the GPS on the cell phone is exactly where he said he was, when he said he was. So everything that he has told me, I've been able to technically verify. So I, I just, I have a high degree of confidence that this is a genuine UFO report and po and close encounter of the third kind. I and really you have a, that. you have a copy of the photograph that he one of the photographs he took of the alien creature or the being or the one. robot. Yeah. He has got four or five of them that he's holding out on. But you've got you you've seen one of them. Yeah, it doesn't look real compelling. But again, you know something that's from another dimension or parallel universe or where UFOs come from. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't. Exp and transparent, they're probably not going to show up real good. But he claims, and the photos he hasn't released yet do show the entity pretty clearly. So I don't know when he's going to uh, let him go. Um, you know, he's he. I he actually, at my suggestion, has got copies of the photos. One copy with a lawyer, and another one with a police officer, who's a homicide investigator. I think he may be retired. And he's got copies with him. He was freaked out by the government. Well, they're going to come and get my photos. And I said, well, I haven't had much experience with that. But I just suggested have copies of the photos with some trusted people. And to my knowledge, no one besides himself, even though these other people have the photos, have looked at the entity photos. So that that's where that stands. I am looking at the radar data. I looked at the Doppler data, the weather radar I didn't find anything compelling, but I don't expect UFOs to show up very well on Doppler data because the beam width is only a degree. So if a UFO flies through that beam with a degree, it'll pick it up. Whereas aviation radar data is ground to infinity, you know, with a beam width. And so, you know, it's designed to pick up UFOs. So uh, I'm looking at Las Vegas McCarran Airport data now, and I'm also going to look at Nellis Air Force Base data. He was closer to Nellis in North Las Vegas, where he had the sighting. But like I said, I've verified everything that he's told me. I've not caught him in any any lies. He admits that a couple of the photos were probably lens fares. So uh, it's a very good, it's one of the better reports that I've received in the past couple of years. Uh, other, other occupant reports you've uh, received uh, that are interesting? Yeah. You know, I, I've had some. Actually, I got another one here, and see if I can find this real quick. Um, let's see. It was uh, in, I believe that was in Washington State, and a gentleman. Uh, well, while you're looking for that, your um, question I have: What? All do you do to vet the witnesses and vet the sightings that you get in? Because you must get many, many sightings, and I can't imagine you can vet them all. Well, I, I do post all my reports, but I don't investigate, you know, 
a lot of them in detail. Uh, you know, a few of them I do, but but uh, but a lot of them I don't. And and uh, you know, I mean, a lot of the the reports I get, you know, are really. You know, I'm I'm basing just what the witness tells me, you know, and, and what their experience is. So, so you're, I, you're sort of providing a, a forum for people to report their UFO sightings, and you're not saying that these really are alien craft or anything like that. You're saying, here's a report I received, and here's the information, but I'm not sure how reliable the report is or if, if the witness misidentified Venus, for example. Right. Well, I do look at, I have good sites for determining astronomical, um, you know, uh, data. I've got, I've got a, uh, uh, the U.S. Naval Observatory software that I look at astronomical phenomena. Uh, website Heavens Above uh, for satellites. And, you know, a good number of reports, a, a great volume of reports uh, have been due to... Uh, Starlink satellites. Just last spring, I was just uh, uh, saturated with reports from from Starlink satellites, and and you know they. Uh, I got so many of them that I just actually what I did was, as I just made a page for them on a monthly basis because I just couldn't couldn't handle them anymore, and and then you know, and then Venus. You know, people and Jupiter, you know, you know, there those are another bunch that I get. And generally I'm able to and, and the space station, you know, that's that's another one that. Uh, so what um, you're what you're saying basically is that when you get a report, you take a look at the various um, information you have, the direction the object was from the witness, for example, or the time of day and that and you look for something that. Uh, is is either artificial in the in the realm of it's a, a satellite or something like that, or looking for a natural phenomenon that may may fit the facts. That's right. And but when, most when of my posted, most of my reports, you know, I would say they've not been investigated in detail. I mean, I have had some reports while I, where I will actually go out and and collect data, you know, on site visit. But I don't do to particularly since COVID. Obviously, is I don't. Uh, I don't do many uh, uh, on-site visits, you know, but I do. Uh, well, when you when you get a report and, and it turns out that you've got some kind of a, a say, an astronomical object, uh, Venus, in the location where the UFO is, do you do you mention that on the site as well, saying I, this seems to be Venus or, or absolutely, qualify? absolutely, yes, I do. And with my so you know, with the WordPress software. You know, I categorize my my uh, sightings, and and uh, you know, I have unidentified uh, close encounter, uh, electromagnetic, and you know, and I do that. So here's the one I want to just the case you just mentioned about another entity case. This happened in Beaverton, Oregon, Christmas Day of all days, and the gentleman writes. I saw a UFO drone, an alien set up a portal. Again, that looks a little, sounds a little far out, but he said, I took pictures from outside the portal, which is by my bedroom window. The aliens followed me downtown, and last night, December 27th, a little suspicious, but yet he took a photo. Let me interrupt you here. Let me interrupt you here because I'm running up against the break time, and we have to pay for the uh, program somehow. So we'll have the commercials coming up here. As I say, um, there's some other fine programs about the paranormal on the Exome Broadcast Network. Take a uh, look at that. And you are listening to A Different Perspective on the Exome Broadcast Network. I'm Kevin Randall, and I will return shortly with William Puckett, and we'll wrap this thing up and let you go off to uh, do the things you have to do. We will be back right after this, so please stick around.
obviously, we are back. I'm joined by William Puckett. He uh, has a website, www.ufosnw.com. It's all lowercase, and he puts up lots of uh, UFO sightings um, that are interesting. We were talking about a fellow who saw an alien set up a portal. What exactly does that mean? What he said was, is this beam of sort of, you know, light came down right in front of his window, bedroom window, and hooded figures and entities came out of it. And he took a photo, and I, I don't, it's kind of a strange photo. Uh, you know, it, I, I've got it on my site. Uh, the title of the report is UFO Drone and Alien Setup Portal, uh, which is what he said. But the, the photo was kind of strange. And I, the report is a bit speculative. You know, it sounds kind of anecdotal, like this guy's prone to exaggeration. But yet, the photo's interesting. So I, I, I felt it worthy to mention that. And another report uh, that I'd like to go to that I think is quite interesting, and I kind of call this an X-File uh, this was in Southern California, January 2020, and the gentleman that had this report is a real great artist and made an artistic graphical display. And witness says, I will not divulge my identity nor my exact location. However, I will let you know this happened in Southern California. Here's my story. Middle of January 2020, I fell asleep by watching TV. I woke at about 2 a.m. to the sound of someone talking on TV. It wasn't very loud. And I thought that I should have turned off the TV. Then I noticed something coming out of the corner of my eye. I turned to look and saw a black mass hovering over our table in the kitchen area. It was completely silent. Panic set in. I was petr petrified at what I saw. I could not breathe nor move. I was frozen in fear. I tried to get out of scream but couldn't. I tried and tried. Then I eventually found myself screaming over and over again. My wife, who was asleep, ran in the room. While she's entering the room, I saw the black mass in our kitchen, and then it shrank and disappeared completely. Now, the debunkers are saying this was sleep paralysis. He was awake and wide awake when he saw this thing. And there's a very nice illustration on my site, uh, a sketch. So is it an entity, uh, something else in the paranormal world? I don't know, but it's, it's pretty strange. Well, when you're talking about something like that, um, you, I, I think of UFOs or uh, alien visitation as something coming from interstellar space, something coming from, from another planet. This sounds like uh, a, a suggestion that it was some kind of interdimensional contact. Exactly. And I do think, my own opinion, that some UFOs, and maybe a lot of them, are parallel universe, uh, higher dimensional phenomena. And I think that's why there's a lot of electromagnetic interference. You know, they're distorting time and, and, and uh, gravity and magnetic fields. And I do believe that some UFOs, including the one in Las Vegas, may very well be higher dimensional or parallel universe. And most physicists are pretty well agreed that there are parallel universes out there. Some of them can't harbor life, but who knows? It's pretty strange. So, you know... That, that's another entity report that sticks in my mind. I've got many more on my site. Uh, that's what uh, the, more well, of the recent I, as reports. I say, this, this strikes me more as, as something from the paranormal world as opposed to the UFO world, that it's, it's not really related to uh, um, interstellar flight. And I, I'm always a little bit worried about that thing. And I, I'll say something else, because I did a book called um, The Abduction Enigma with Russ Estes and Bill Cohn, oh, good Lord, 20 years ago. And uh, we looked into sleep paralysis in depth, and there are uh, cases of sleep paralysis, depending on the witness, uh, it's called cataplexy, actually, where it's basically sleep paralysis while you're wide awake. Uh, so, um, you know, if we have nothing concrete, I will say concrete, to pin this to, there's a distinct possibility that it's some sort of a form of sleep paralysis. You don't have to be asleep or going to sleep or just waking up for sleep paralysis to kick in. There are, um, as I said, cataplexy, which is a, 
type of sleep paralysis where you would um, see an entity. I, and I know with sleep paralysis, I think in about 80% of the cases of sleep paralysis, the witness, the witness, the uh, victim, <laughs> the uh, object of the sleep paralysis uh, believes there's been an entity in the room with them. And this sounds, I have to agree with the skeptics. This sounds an awful lot like a, a episode of sleep paralysis in some form. Well, that's a possibility. However, my argument against that is most people that have sleep paralysis and sleepwalk have a repeated episodes. This is the only time it ever happened to the person. So you may be right, but yet I, I have to I argue would, on the I other argue, side. I would argue the point with that most people have repeated episodes of sleep paralysis. That's not my experience. And as I said, we looked into this in depth. Um, a long time ago, I investigated a case in Utah, which was just completely baffling uh, until I came across sleep paralysis. I'm now absolutely convinced that even though the woman claimed to have been abducted and that sort of thing, I am convinced that it was an episode of sleep paralysis, which is not to say all abductions can be reduced to sleep paralysis. But in this particular case in Utah, I believe sleep paralysis is a, a, a legitimate answer for it. So we have to be careful separating psychological phenomenon from cases where it's some kind of an outside influence. Well, you're more versed on it than I am. You know, I just, uh, you know, I personally, I've never had a case of sleep paralysis. And but I, I, I know that it happens. You know, I, I don't know. Apparently, you say it doesn't happen repeatedly, but uh and I didn't classify this as a UFO report. I've actually classified it as an X-File. I have a category on my site called X-Files because I do get ghostly and other paranormal phenomena, and I put them in that category, X-Files. But again, paranormal phenomena overlap. At least I oh, believe they do. Oh, there's no question about that. There's some, there, there is an overlap between UFO phenomenon and paranormal phenomenon and extrasensory perception and all of that sort of thing. I wouldn't argue that point, but I'm just saying that given the facts, as you've discussed them here with me, I suspect that it's more of a psychological explanation than it would be something um, tangible, I guess is the way to say it. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't totally refute that. You know, it's uh, like I said, I, you know, I, I'm not... I, I, as investigators, I think as investigators, we're required to look at all explanations and look at all the science that is available to us and say, well, this is a very strange case. It doesn't fit into the UFO category. It moves into the paranormal. But are there paranormal uh, phenomenon or psychological phenomena that explain it? I think as, a, as an investigator, we have to look at that and say, well, this, this leans toward a more mundane explanation than something extraordinary. Well, that's correct. I mean, I I just said this is an interesting case and one for the X-Files in my comments. And I do have comment. I mean, my, my site is a blog format, and I entertain comments. There were people that said it was sleep paralysis. Uh, one person says, I don't believe it was sleep paralysis either. I was wide awake, and I didn't notice a thing until I sat up in my chair and leaned forward. Lately, I was doing some research, and and it seemed others have reported similar things. And he puts a link to the Skinwalker Ranch, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And so I entertain comments. And unless they're totally sarcastic and demeaning, I, I don't publish them. But I, I, I'm open-minded. And, and again, I can't, you know, I mean, I don't investigate a lot of these cases in detail. I, I put them out there and, and put, present the data and let the witnesses make up their own mind. And and I give, sometimes I'll give my my uh, speculative um, explanation. And and so that's what I do. You know, Len, I, Stringfield, I, Len Stringfield, who was collecting cases of crash retrievals, often said that uh, in his status reports, he would just, he would collect the data, um, maybe not analyze it in depth, given the, numbers that he was getting and he put it out there for others to take a look at to see if they could come up with an explanation for it or if they had more information out and i think that's a fine thing to do share the information share the data and if we come up with an explanation we write that one off and we move on to the next one but len um len would put his analysis on it if he thought there was an explanation for it and if he didn't have one here's the evidence that i've been presented with and uh 
uh, you know, if you have something more, let me know. And uh, we, he and I discussed that uh, on a couple of occasions. Yeah, that's basically what I do. I mean, I collect the reports. I do some investigation. And then a, a lot of, I get a lot of good feedback and comments. I mean, I had this woman that had an x-ray and it, the, the strange object showed up uh, uh, right above her in the back of her neck. And she sent me the x-rays and I got a million hits on that report. I got 10 comments from MDs. It turns out it was a life alert penchant that the, radi- the, uh, the technician, the x-ray technician forgot to remove. And I mean, you put the information out there and it generates interest and you get the good feedback, you know. And I don't know everything. I mean, I'm, I'm a meteorologist, you know, I, and I have radar expertise, you know, and, uh, but I definitely, you know, I don't claim to, to have all the answers. Uh, I do believe that UFOs are visiting the Earth. I do believe that many of them are extraterrestrial and, and some of them are higher dimensional and paranormal type phenomena. I'm almost convinced of it. Uh, but again, a William, lot of these reports are anecdotal. Yeah, William, I, I gotta, I gotta stop you, man. We're, we're flat out running out of time here. Sure. I really appreciate taking time to share the stories with us and discuss the uh, phenomenon with me here on the different perspective. Um, probably I'd like to have you back sometime. You up for that? I sure am. I mean, stay tuned to my uh, site and, you know, if you're, Get on coast to coast and you see any good reports, uh, feel free to uh, present them. And I've, I've got uh, a good backlog of 10 or 15 reports that I don't even have on my site yet. And, and the Las site, Vegas case will be uh, further investigated. Your site is www.ufosnw.com. William Puckett is the man's name. He's been doing UFO research for quite a long time. William, thank you again for being on A Different Perspective. Well, thanks very much for having me, and you have a great day, and stay healthy. You too. look forward to talking to you in the future. And have fun in your windstorm there in Montana. Yeah, sorry about the power interruption. We got we got her going again. We were lucky, but yeah. I, I figured that would happen. <laughs> okay. Thank you much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, um, as I said, in the next couple of weeks, I think we've got some very interesting programs coming up uh, here on A Different Perspective. I'm really looking forward to talking to uh, Dr. Loeb about the uh, artifact that he believes was an artificial artifact moving through the, um, through the solar system. I think other scientists believe it, wasn't, uh, it was an alien artifact, but maybe not artificial. And I'm looking forward to getting his perspective on that as well. Uh, and given some of the things that he has said and some of the uh, information I have from him and when I've had my, had my communications with him, I think he's much more open to the idea of UFOs than um, uh, many of his colleagues, I guess is the best way to say it. So we'll be talking with him. And as I say, you know, I've done uh, quite a bit of work on um, this uh, Vietnam Ground Zero blog, and I know that really doesn't fit into our format here, but I thought uh, people would like to take a look at that and get an idea of, of who I am and where my background comes from and my experiences with the military. I know that a lot of people claim military backgrounds who don't have them, and uh, I think this is a way of kind of verifying my background in that respect. In fact, I've got a picture up on that blog at um, well, www.vietnamgroundzero.blogspot.com of my flight school class. So you can see uh, what I look like. Well, yeah, it's hard to see me in the picture but because uh, it's the entire platoon, but uh, it's up there to kind of uh, help verify that in the way of my background and as i say you know i would appreciate it those of you who buy the books and take a look at the books if you put a rating put a a um, review up on the books that kind of helps spread the word and get it out there so that people will be more interested in what we're doing so as i say if you have a chance take a look at the x-zone broadcast network for some other programs on the paranormal and you have been listening to a different perspective on the x-zone broadcast network and i'll be back in a 167 hours. So thank you for tuning in.